Baptist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. And now, may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Holy Spirit, pour out on us wisdom and understanding that being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds might be open to receive all that leads to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Our scripture reading today comes from John's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Eventually, Jesus came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well around noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, choir. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, um, our longing this morning <clears throat> is to come and to drink deeply of your presence with us here today. As we pause and as we still ourselves, suddenly reminded that the same spirit that hovered over the chaos of creation hovers over us right now. Hovers over the places that we brought into this place um, that desperately need your healing, creative touch. And so, O oh Holy One, we ask that you would move and, and have your way in this place. That you would speak to the hearts of your children. And as we leave today, may we, be truly, may we truly know that we have spent time on holy ground. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you, O oh God, are our rock and our redeemer. And it is in the name of Jesus that I offer this prayer and all who agreed with it said, Amen. Can I share with you this morning as, uh, as we begin a quote from a book that I picked up here recently. It starts this way. You want to destroy yourself? Cling to your warring emotions. They will devour you. You want to save yourself? Hook those passions onto the infinite purpose of God and you will find yourself elevated, transfigured, and enlightened. That is a quote that I think is pretty powerful. When I read it, I immediately underlined it. I find that there are two truths in this quote. First, clinging to sin is as dangerous to us in this world as it is in the next. And two, sin is connected to the things inside of us. We have a great aversion to talking about sin. 
today, don't we? Oh, great. Preacher's going to talk about sin. Really excited about that. Woo! Right, most of us all know our own stuff. We hear that psalmist say, my sin is ever before me, and we go, yep, read my mail. <laughs> but we also, I have found, spend uh, an, a large amount of our time every day avoiding uh, coming into contact with our sin. We, we pretend like it's not there. We're haunted by it, but we really just want to push it over into the corner and not deal with it. We want to drown out the voices that tell us it's, that it's there because, well, who knows what could happen if I actually have to deal with it. And it's in that place that we think, well, I guess I just have to deal with this sin ongoing. It's just going to be there. I'll push it to the side. I'm never really going to be done with it anyway, so what's the point? And we hear Paul's uh, letter to the church at Rome saying, I do what I don't want to do, and I can't seem to do what I want. And we go, that's just where it ends, right? Forgetting full well that Paul had a whole lot more to say about that. That's our sin, um, but there's also the sin that we have to deal with that's outside of us. This is this corporate and communal sin that we see each and every day. Watch the news and be overwhelmed with the brokenness of humanity. Um, get a phone call from a family member and get lost real quick and in a hurry in their ongoing behaviors that just make you go, really? We came from the same gene pool? Anybody? Uh, that's just me. Okay. <laughs> Alex, put your hand down. That's not funny. Um. <laughs> come, come, come even here and be in relationship with God's people. And I guarantee you at some point, somebody else's sin is going to affect you. But we know, because we're good Christians of the gospel, we don't judge one another, right? Jesus said, don't judge. So we don't bring it up. Well, I'm not sure that's entirely correct. See, there's a difference between judging and a bigger word, condemnation. Let me ask you this. Is it wrong to be concerned about a relationship enough to speak into it? Is it wrong to see institutional sins and speak against them? The judgment that Jesus rebuked when he says, judge not, lest ye be judged, because we all know it in the King Jimmy, was a judgment of condemnation. It was about a person. It was about, uh, not about an intentional life sharing that brings wholeness to somebody else. It was about saying, I'm better than you and let me tell you why. <clears throat> and Jesus, his coming in large part is to bring you and I wholeness. And that means the purging of our sin. And so there's a lot of judging that Jesus says, don't judge. But Jesus also judged a lot. Um, today's passage is a story that's often shared um, as one of these high moments of grace and forgiveness, and we love it, and woo, yay! But it's also an invitation, if you read it carefully, to judgment and healing and change. Jesus had just spent um, the evening with Nicodemus. Ben Witherington calls it the Nick at night moment in the Gospels. He thinks it's funny still, and I'm just, okay. He talks about being born again, and he has. then he goes on this trip with his 12 disciples. They go on a walking tour, and they make their way to this Samaritan village, Sychar. And Jesus sends his boys to get a lunch, and while he's there, he sits on the well, and this woman comes to fetch water. Now, did you notice when she does this? It's midday. That's not a time to come and get water. Why? Because it's hot. It's lonely. 
It's a time when you're supposed to be with other people, fellowshipping, but not this woman. She, she comes, and she's immediately wary of the man who's sitting on her well in the middle of nowhere, and then he says, hey, can I get a drink? She's a Samaritan. Jesus is a Jew. To say that there is animosity between these two groups is a gross understatement. And she notices the difference, and she states the obvious, and she questions race relations, and she brings up theology, and she puts on a great front with this traveling rabbi who kind of seems to know her, but she has no idea what he's talking about. And at the end of the passage, she's convinced that Jesus is something special. And as the disciples come back to their master with food, she scoots. She runs into town and she tells everyone to come out and to see this man. In this short little exchange, we go from seeing this woman harboring a deep wound to ripping off a band-aid and receiving some healing that she had longed for more than anything else. She's gone from living from the middle of this wound and the sin that comes with it to being wide open to her whole village. How do I get all of that? Well, it comes from the in-between the lines of Scripture. My favorite word, context, right? The woman comes again at midday, lunchtime. The custom of the day was that people come to draw water early in the morning because it's cooler. It was a time when everyone came together and they shared about what was going on. How's Junior today? Is he over the cold? What's that recipe that you made of that lamb? Can I get that from you? How's your husband doing? Is he still crabby? I bet that happened often. <laughs> and this woman comes not when the community is sharing. She comes when there's nobody there. Why? She's avoiding the crowds. She's avoiding the conversation. She's feeling that she's unwanted at that gathering, so she's not going to be there. And in the dialogue between the two, we also learn that this woman has some real resentment that she's dealing with. At first, it's just towards this Jew and then all Jews. Then it's a resentment, while subtle, it comes from her own people. Again, when she's coming. Then we see the resentment when Jesus asks her to bring her husband out for further talk, further discussion. And she says, well, I've had five so I don't have a husband, and Jesus said, yes, right, you've had five, and you're currently cohabitating with somebody else. And the woman is carrying this deep wound with her that Jesus just speaks right into. As I said, reads her mail. And the wound that she's carrying is this deep wound of shame. Ah, shame. Shame is a deep hurt that says you are inferior, you are inadequate, you are a failure, you are undesirable, you can't really be loved. Shame produces this aching unworthiness that just kind of nags and it sabotages all the good in life. The wound of shame is like a shrink ray gun that, that gets zapped at you and draws you back and makes you lose courage, makes you lose courage to risk because in the end, well, I'm just going to mess up anyway, so why bother? And that shame that becomes, it causes a complacency in us, a, a general lack of, eh, of wanting. It, it's just making it. It's just mediocrity. It's just fine. 
And from here, shame invites uh, us into this hiding, this covering up. It pushes responsibility to the side, and it settles for a self-judgment that left to its own, um, it festers. Kind of like an open wound. The Proverbs will say that it's a, it's a thing that rots our bones. Anybody signing up for that? Shame is this condemning loss. It's an identity rewriter. And it's the shame or this rewriting of our identity that Jesus absolutely condemns. Nope. Condemn not lest you be condemned. It'd be a better translation. Shame is, is a judgment, better yet, a, a condemnation. We, we have to avoid the, the judging or the condemning in this way. We are to absolutely, unequivocally reject the shaming of others. The pushing down, the covering up, the making others to feel inferior is an act of judgment that is about as far from Christian ethics as anything else that I could share with you. And I'm guessing everybody here would agree that when we see this kind of shame publicly, we go, ooh, that ain't right. Something should be done. We might even agree that when we see it in public, this condemning kind of judgment thing, we go, somebody ought to stand up and say something. Whether we do it or not is another thing, but we have that internal, ugh. And, and, and in this, as I said a minute ago, Jesus sees us in this woman and he jumps right into it and he judges or he better brings light to this woman and this, the shame that she's, she's carrying with her. Now he shoulders her rejection and her crabbiness to him, but he doesn't stop just that. He wants to offer her healing and this woman's response to Jesus betrays that wound. Culturally, he's okay asking for a drink of water. That patriarchism is, is still there. But her snark that she fires back at him is heavy. She's interested in healing, but she knows she's not good enough for it, so she hides behind arguments of Jewish God and Samaritan God and, and, it's, and this and that, and it's a comparison moment, yours versus mine. And Jesus speaks to truth to this, and he finds in the midst of this comparison, in the midst of this snark, and in the midst of this shame, he finds something that they both agree on. They're all looking forward to a Messiah. And I love it. Jesus goes, here I am. It's me. And about this time, the disciples come back, and they go, why are you talking to her? I've kind of imagined her standing there with her jaw, jaw dropped open and she's a little, looking a little bit off and she hears more words of judgment. What are you doing with her? But this time as she hears that, she keeps the wound in the open. She doesn't cover it. She doesn't hide it. And she goes running into town and she tells everybody uh, about Jesus and about that he knows her. And why is that impressive? Because everybody knows this woman. Everybody knows that she's a wreck. Everybody knows that she done messed up again. Everybody in that community has judged her over and over and over. But you know what? She doesn't care anymore. Because her wound of shame has been opened up to be healed. She's been left out and deprived, and she's longed to be a part. She's longed to have what others have wanted. And even though these words drip with sarcasm, Jesus says, I want to speak healing to you. By the way, can I share something really quick? Sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. 
Fun? Yes. Sarcasm actually means, the Greek word means to rip the flesh. Sarcasm at its root is shame-producing and it's envy-creating. I'm preaching to myself right here. And it may not be quick to spot, but this woman's wound of shame is showing itself in a trait that we call envy. Um, Envy invites us to make judgment on others at the place of their being. We don't just want what they have, possession or happiness or wealth or whatever. We want them to have the opposite. It's coveting while making somebody else feel lesser than I do. It's a comparison that breeds contempt. It's a comparison that creates inside of us a sorrow and a sadness that will never be handled just by having what they have and them having nothing. It's a comparison that creates a lack of mercy and a lack of kindness. It's a comparison that says, I'm deprived because of them, because of that. Jesus looks at this woman who's comparing and who's got envy, and he brings her wound into the light. He judges it, but he doesn't condemn her. She's already self-condemning herself under this shame anyway. She's taken on an identity of being lesser than. And he doesn't disagree with her guilt. Did you notice that? He allows the guilt. Guilt is very different than shame. Guilt is an awareness of, it's a remorse of our wrong done. But it provokes us to do something, to seek help, to seek mercy in action. Shame causes us to freeze. Guilt pricks our consciousness into movement. Shame smothers us into inaction and and rips apart who we are, rewrites who we are. Guilt says, get on up. Let's change something. And Jesus, like to the woman in a few chapters in John chapter 8, he says to her, your sin does not define you, so get up, be forgiven, and sin no more. He invites this woman at the well to engage her wound and her brokenness and then stop living in it. I love that about Jesus. This is a God who won't condemn but invites us healing, wholeness, and breakthrough. Kind of expects it for us. How often do we expect it for ourselves? But I also get uncomfortable with this God. I said earlier that stopping shame at a corporate or public level is difficult, but probably the easier part. Because stopping the shame here, in myself, that's a whole other story, ain't it? When we compare ourselves to others, we invite this wound of shame. When we say, why can't I be like him or her, look like him or her, have what they have, what we're doing is saying, I'm not good enough. And in that moment, we're trading the identity that God has for us and saying, God's done messed up again. And we're longing for something that will not fill us in the end until we face it. Brothers and sisters, shame is a wound that keeps us from being who God says we are. Shame is a festering lie from the enemy that says you're not good enough. To reject shaming is easy uh, when we see it in others. To reject shaming in ourselves, that's hard work. And yet this woman is given by Jesus this in this action, just like the woman in John 8, a salve, a, a healing agent that would help her get to breakthrough and, and wholeness. What is she given by Jesus in that moment? 
She's given the kindness of acceptance. She's, giving, she's given a Savior who sees, I, I want you to see yourself as I see you. He, he gave this woman what he gives to us today, what he's longing to give to you today, a new identity. If we stick with Paul and say, oh, wretched man that I am, I just keep doing this, we miss out because in Romans chapter 8, he says this, for those in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no condemnation. What's that there, therefore? To remind you and I that in Jesus there is an identity that says you are his. You are the son and daughter to the father of life. You are royalty adopted in and made righteous. You are holy and forgiven and free. You are good enough because he says you are enough. You are made right by the blood of the lamb and when guilt comes, we can say, oh, Something's been done to hurt somebody else in my relationship with the Father. Let's deal with it. Rather than slinking back and hiding, we confess it. We bring it to the light. We rejoice in forgiveness. By the way, did you know that confession always brings joy in Scripture? Whenever God's people are called to confession, there's a party afterwards. When was the last time you had a party? Confession brings joy, and if it doesn't, then we're just shaming ourselves and we're owning an identity that we're not meant to own. And God has no time for that. There's too much at stake. The wound of shame is this deep wound that God, oh, y'all hear, God wants to heal you from. God wants to heal you from the deep wound of shame. I don't know what has caused it in you. Maybe something you've done. Maybe something done to you. What matters is that you aren't meant to carry it. You are to know today and every day that you are a child of God and in his eyes you cannot be loved any less or any more than he loves you at this moment. Because of Jesus, you are enough and you are invited to grow up, not shrink back. You are empowered to tell the world what they already know about you, that you're broken and you're screwed up. Join the club. But that you're now on your way to healing and in that healing, you are given the very breath of God that hovered over creation and the chaos, the Holy Spirit. You are given that gift to stand up, to go and sin no more. That call right there is not just, oh, well, you're, you're forgetting. No, get up and sin no more. And that only comes from this identity that we have from being a child of, of God. And so I ask you this morning, beloved, who are you? If you can't answer, I am a son, I am a daughter of the King of Kings, of the God of heaven, of a God who calls himself Father to the fatherless, then I would ask you to spend some time today, this week, in your quiet time with somebody else going, what shame needs to be dealt with? Where is this wound that has to be healed? Where do I need the salve of God's kindness and mercy in my life? What would it mean for you to wake up every morning, get up, go into the bathroom, look at yourself in the mirror and see God's beloved child instead of failure, screw up, not good enough, probably change your day, wouldn't it? This is the healing the Father longs for you. 
will we be like the women at the well who get up and go, y'all don't even know how good God is. Would you pray with me? Oh God, what a thought. What a, what a game changer. We, we carry around the, the title Christian uh, a lot. Oh, I'm a Christian. I listen to Christian music. I have a Christian bumper sticker. I got a Christian t-shirt. A lot of descriptors. And yet, I don't know if we fully understand who we are when we claim that title. Son and daughter of the living God. Healed whole, forgiven and free. Wow. Father, I pray that as we have shared this morning about this wound, there are many of us who are carrying it. Would you do your work? For those of us who are, who are thinking right now, well, that's good enough for you, Jim, but not for me. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would bring others into our lives to show us your love in practical ways this week. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who have, who have come to this uh, identity changer, this rewriting of who we are, that we would own it with every fiber of our being this week and we would give life away uh, as if we've just won the lottery. Help us to be extravagant in kindness to reject condemnation, to love till it hurts. Lord, we thank you for all this because of what you endured so that we could be free. Keep us near the cross. Keep us near you. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.